Please take your Bibles this morning with me. Turn to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 27. We are in the, the middle of a series on heaven. And I don't know about you, but as we were singing that last song, how many of you felt like we were just transported into the heavenly realm? You and me, Edith. That's wonderful. Before we go to the Word of God this morning, I want to begin with a small theology test. Is that okay? And as I went to the back of the sanctuary and looked over the sea of faces this morning, I got to thinking that the word that I'm going to present in just a moment will be a word that some of you have never heard before. Some of you have heard the word and you have no idea what it means. Others of you have heard the word, can define the word, have learned about this word for year after year after year after year. Simply put, we're all over the theological roadmap, and and that's okay. And so I want to begin very basically this morning by looking at the word eschatology. Eschatology. You see what I mean? Some of you have never heard the word. Some of you have heard the word but don't know what it means, and others of you know the fine-tuned definition of the word. Eschatology. Let's put that on the screen and, and uh, think about that just for a moment. The word eschatology is really two words smashed together. And of course, whenever you see that ology, for instance, the, the word biology, the, the little prefix B-I-O-S, is a word that is translated life. So biology I know it's most of your favorite subjects, especially in the first two rows, right? Is the study of, work with me, biology is the study of, work with me, the study of, the study of life. Wow. Let's try a different one. I'm going to this side. The prefix, phila, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Philosophy is the love of wisdom. Let's do one that's a little bit more easy. How about, I'm going to go right on the middle. <laughs> anthropos. What's an anthropos? Yeah, that's all of you. That's man. Anthropos is the, the study of man. So the little prefix, eschatos, is a word that means Last things. So now that we have all of this put together, philosophy, biology, anthropology, eschatology is the study of? Wow. Eschatology is the study of last things. Now, usually, did you know that eschatology is a study that people get very worked up about? Especially if you've been in a Baptist church for any number of years. Boy, you hear the word eschatology, it's like, it's like giving a piece of bacon to a rabid dog. You know, we're going we're gonna to tear that thing apart. We want to learn all we can about it. So when you hear the term eschatology, generally what people do is they, they automatically move to the question of the timing of the Lord's return. And here at Christ Fellowship, we're all over the map. Some of you believe that Jesus' return is pre-tribulational. Some of you believe it's mid-tribulational. Others of you believe it's post-tribulational. Those of you that don't have it figured out yet, you're, you're pan-trib. You know, it's all going to pan out in the end. It's a tough crowd. 
But eschatology, you see, and this is a shocker for for many people, eschatology has far more to do than merely the timing of the return of Jesus. For instance, the study of eschatology also concerns the millennial reign of Christ. Eschatology involves the the Bema seat or the reward seat for believers and the great white throne. At the Bema seat, all of God's elect will receive rewards... And all of those who are unconverted will be judged at the great white throne. There is the the consummation of all things. How many of you are looking forward to the day when Jesus makes all things new? Man, that's a that's an amen to that, right? When you are reunited with your loved ones who went before you to be with the Lord, when when the Lord Jesus Christ comes and makes all things new, and sin is no longer a part of uh, the reality that, that we live here on this earth as we reside on the new earth. More of that in days to come. Eschatology involves the doctrine of eternal punishment. That is the doctrine of hell. Eschatology involves the doctrine of heaven. And that is our chief concern in this short st- series together. Now, there are many motivations that you might have for studying eschatology. The first is of which is strength for today. Strength for today as we consider the the mighty promises of God. This has been a, a very difficult week and a very difficult few weeks for many of you. Lots of things are happening in our church family. Loved ones have gone to be with the Lord, and these are difficult, difficult days. I would submit to you that the study of eschatology will give you strength for today as you consider the great promises of the Lord Jesus Christ. Another motivation for studying eschatology is is hope for the future. Not just strength for today, but hope for what lies ahead. Hope for what is in the future for us as followers of Christ. And then finally, eschatology's the reason or the motivation for studying eschatology is that we might develop courage to fixate our attention or our hearts on heaven. And that is exactly the subject that we turn our attention to this morning. Last week, we embarked on a study that we have entitled Heaven, the Longing of the Human Heart. And we began our study by arguing that our hearts are in need of recalibration. I want to restate the truth point and have you hold your finger in Psalm chapter 27 and go back with me to the book of Colossians because these are some very important principles that bear repeating. And for those of you that weren't here last week, you will get the sermon in a brief nutshell in just a moment's time. We've learned that the human heart needs to be recalibrated, and the points that we stated are as follows. Number one, we reaffirm the reality the mighty reality that we have been raised with Christ. I hope that you have had a chance to consider that and to contemplate that over the last few days. Colossians 3.1, Paul says, If then, and the point we made last week is because it's written in the first class conditional, it can be translated as follows. Since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And so we we reaffirm the reality that we have been raised with Christ. Secondly, as a result of that, we respond, you see, reverently. 
Colossians 3, 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And then finally, we recognize the rationale that we are in vital union with Christ, that our relationship is eternally secure, and one day, one day, we will appear with Him in glory. Colossians 3, 3 and 4. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So, simply put, if our hearts fail to be recalibrated, we focus on temporal things. We focus on base things. We will focus on the things of this world. If our hearts are not properly aligned, we will be distracted We will be deterred, and in the final analysis, if our hearts are not properly aligned, we will, in fact, be deceived. I want to ask you this morning a a question that I, I, I pray that you will wrestle with and think about and contemplate and take seriously. I want to ask, what is the deepest longing of your heart? What is the deepest longing of your heart? Some of you might say, I'm looking for that perfect friendship. I'm looking for a a special friend to come into my life. Others of you may have your, your eyes set on a career. Or maybe you have a career and you're not satisfied with that, that career and you're looking for a new one. Or perhaps it's financial success. You you're working on on your personal finances. Here's one that some people that I know in Legrand Many people in LeGrand, personal happiness is filling your buck tag. Yeah, filling your buck tag or, or shooting your first bear. I had an uncle and have an uncle and he's a wonderful, godly man. And I remember for years and years and years, he put in in the state of Montana for a bighorn sheep. And you are in an elite group if you get a tag for a bighorn sheep. And one day he finally received his tag. And guess what? He got one. He got a bighorn sheep. Or maybe for you, your longings are, are found in world peace. You see the, the situation in our world, or you see more closely to home, the situation in our nation. Our nation is divided. Our government is divided. We are a divided people. And you long for people in our country to get along. See, each of us is driven by longings. Some of those longings are grandiose. Some of those longings are, are, are smaller, but they're important longings nonetheless. And we all share the joy of taking part in this journey, this pilgrimage, if you will, to a better place, a, a place that places in heaven where our deepest longings will finally be realized. As you think about your longings, I'm kind of curious. How many of you thought, my deepest longing is to go to heaven and to be with my Savior? I remember as a young boy going to Sunday evening service. How many of you remember Sunday evening service? Yeah. And do you know know one of my most vivid memories of Sunday evening service? And I I am ashamed to admit this, but I'm just going to, you know me, I'm a transparent kind of a guy. I remember at least once a year having to miss the Wizard of Oz because of Sunday evening service. And that bugged me. 
I wanted to see The Wizard of Oz, where Dorothy in this very classic film was searching for this, this magical person to fulfill or to grant the wish in her life. Or a story that in my humble estimation is a much better story and a much more biblical story, the, the story that John Bunyan crafted in a Bedford prison cell that we know now as Pilgrim's Progress. And we find the character, the chief character, Christian, searching for the longing of his heart. And the longing of his heart is the celestial city. Well, then there's King David, who is in a very real quest. David's quest finds its culmination, you see, in the heavenly city. It is, in the final analysis, the ultimate longing of the people of God. And so with these thoughts in our minds, would you stand with me as we read one simple verse together in Psalm chapter 27. And look with me for a moment at verse 4. This is God's word. David writes, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Let's pray. Lord, what an honor it is to open your word. What a delight it is to think about our future in heaven. Uh, some of us here in this sanctuary are uh, not, not too far away from our heavenly home. And that's an exciting thought to think about the glories of heaven right around the corner. And as we think uh, about this eternal reality, I I pray, God, that you would uh, fill our souls with joy. I pray that you would fill our souls with with holy expectation, that we would, as it were, lean in to learn about these great realities that are in store for each one of your people, for each one who names the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would encourage your people this morning with your word. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. The title of the message this morning is Recalibrating Our Heavenly Longings. Now, the journey that we embark on is much different than the the journey that, that Dorothy embarked on in The Wizard of Oz. Our journey is not a fairy tale. Our journey, like Pilgrim's Progress, is not a clever allegory. It is, in fact, a a real-life journey that is brimming and, and filled with genuine hope. And as I began to put my thoughts together together for this series, I, I, believe, I believe it is necessary that we begin here in this second week of this study with the saints' deepest longings. And the reason is that if we don't begin with our deep, deep longings, that there is a chance that the journey might feel mundane or feel meaningless along the way. You say, what are you, what are you referring to? It would be like this. It would be like mom and dad if you, you told your five-year-old daughter that we're going to hop in the car and go to Disneyland. And it's going to take 23 hours to get to Los Angeles. Now, if the child knows what is at the end of the journey, all of a sudden the 23 hours in the car are not that big of a deal. But if there is no point to the journey, all, all that the parents hear, and I know you've heard this many times, is how many more minutes? How long till we get there? 
When's the potty break? When's the snack break? Why can't we stop? How long is it going to get there? And so the journey takes on a a meaningless or flavor. It becomes mundane. And so this morning, I want to look into the inner workings of the, the human heart. And I want to ask a few questions for your consideration. First, what are the longings of the human heart? Secondly, what happens when the human heart denies those deep longings? And trust me, it happens all the time. And then finally, where in a final sense do we find rest for our souls? I want you to notice this morning three headings with me. The first heading is as follows, is that the human heart, the human heart has desires and longings. The human heart has desires and longings. I want to think together with you about the anatomy, if you will, of desire. What is desire comprised of? And there are three important things, three ingredients of desire. First of all is need. Need. What are our needs? Well, each of us need security and significance. We need security and significance. Every man and every woman, every boy, every girl is in need of security and significance. You see, we have a need to feel safe, do we not? We have a need to feel safe. We also have a need for significance. We want to know that our lives matter. We want to know that our lives make a difference. I want to have some fun with this by quoting from one of the philosophers from the film Steel Magnolias. Some of you have, how many of you have seen the film more than five times? Okay, that's what I thought. (laughs) The great philosopher from this film says, the only thing that separates us from the animals is our ability to accessorize. And what a crack up. What a crack up. Doreen had a good friend who used to say that all the time. And I remember as a, as a younger man, like, what in the world does that mean? It took me a while to figure it out. And as humorous as that is, I, I believe that it, it misses the mark in a very major way. Why? Because human beings are made in the image of God. And as image bearers, we have legitimate needs called security and significance. That's the realm of need. Secondly, look at the realm of love as we unpack the anatomy of desire. As people who are created in the image of God, we desire to love someone. And help me, we want someone to love us in return. I want to love people, and it would be really helpful if they would love me in return. Now, the works of classic literature teach us over and over again that loneliness, have you discovered this? Loneliness is absolutely not only devastating, but can be deadly. Some of you are familiar with Victor Hugo's character, Jean Valjean, who dies after losing Cosette. Or how about Tolstoy's character, Anna? who's so convinced that she's unloved that she throws herself under a train. I was shocked to learn when I read that the American Heart Association says that there is really such a thing as death by heartbreak. One writer says that in broken heart syndrome, 
Rejection or loss causes stress hormones to flood the body, mimicking the effects of a heart attack. You see, we have great need as image bearers for love. We want to love people and we love it when they would love us in return. The third component of desire is hope. We want something to bank on. We want something to to trust in both now and in the future. In my own life, I have discovered this in a very real way. And I, I think we can all relate to this. How many of you are looking forward to something right now? You're looking forward to a night out on the town. You're looking forward to, my suspicion would be everyone in the first two rows, you're looking forward to December 25th, Christmas. You might be looking forward to getting married. You might be looking forward to that special vacation, this spring break or this summer. But looking forward to something something, is, is just the way that we are wired. And we understand it in a very intimate and special way. Here's a key principle for you to consider. All the longings of the human heart. This is a very important statement. All of the longings of the human heart are found in heaven. Each of our longings are ultimately found in heaven. Look again at Psalm 27. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You see, King David was a flesh and blood person like each of us. King David had genuine needs. He had love needs. He had this realm of hope where he needed something or someone to bank on. And in Psalm 27, verse 4, oh, does he bank on this hope. Peter Kraft says that just as faith fills the mind's deepest quest for truth and love fulfills the moral will's deepest quest for goodness, listen, so the hope of heaven fulfills the heart's deepest quest for joy. The hope of heaven fulfills the heart's deepest quest for joy. And so the human heart has genuine desires and longings. But look with me at a second heading that says the human heart grows restless when it denies true longings. Now, think with me here that if if our deepest longings are found in our heavenly home, what happens when we deny our true longings? That is, what happens when we when we cast aside our God-given desire for our heavenly home. Well, we grow restless. We grow discouraged. We grow tired. We grow grow weary. Imagine, again with me, a small child who goes without breakfast and without lunch, and it's getting to be 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and that child has not eaten anything all day. What happens to that child? Have you ever seen a child that hasn't eaten They become the proverbial wiggle worm. This child's low blood sugar may cause him or her to act in ways that are inappropriate. How much more does the human heart grow restless when it denies its true longings? This is what Augustine said. He said, O Lord, O Lord, thou hast created us for 
for thyself. And our hearts are restless until we find our rest in thee. You see, Aurelius Augustine understood this principle. He understood that the heart grows restless when it sets aside our, our deep longings for heaven. You see, the human heart... Simply put, invents substitutes for our true longings. Our true longing is our heavenly home. But because we live in this temporal environment, when we live on this planet called earth, we get restless. It's kind of like Moses, or Aaron rather, grew restless while he waited for Moses on on Mount Sinai. What did he do? He ended up worshiping a golden calf. And then when Moses came off Mount Sinai and he confronted Aaron, what did Aaron say? He basically passed the buck, didn't he? He said, we threw all this stuff and poof, out came a calf. And we just ended up worshiping it. You see, when someone gets stuck or is held accountable for sin, they either hide their sin or they hurl their sin. They say, it's your fault. It's your fault. And as a result, we create idols because we substitute our true longings for these idols. It was John Calvin who said that our human heart is like an idol factory. And I just think of the factory churning away, chug-a-lug-a-lug-a-lug, right? Our human heart, Calvin said, is like an idol factory churning out idol after idol after idol. And so here's the question. Knowing that the, the true longing of your heart is heaven, what is it today that you are substituting for your heavenly longing. Perhaps it's materialism. Perhaps it's accumulating things. It's accumulating stuff or it's possessions. Or it's even the the accumulation of junk. You can't throw anything away. You just, the stack keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. For some of you, it might be hobbies. Is you are so in tune to your hobby that your eyes are fixated on your hobby and you're ignoring your heavenly home. For some of you, it might be food. I don't know where the term foodie came from, but all of a sudden food has become this, this massive thing in our culture. And there's nothing against food. I like it and I like lots of it. But if our, if our affections are fixated on food, then we begin to neglect the true Deep and lasting longings of our hearts. Perhaps it's relationships. Perhaps you're in a, a, a relationship that does not honor the Lord. Or you're in a relationship that the priorities are all mixed up and you're forgetting your true longing of your heavenly home. I want to ask another question. Does your hunger for God deepen or lessen when you engage in idolatry? You see, the great deception of idolatry is that the more you push God away in an attempt to find satisfaction, isn't that what we do? You push God away in an attempt to find satisfaction, but the irony is as you push God away trying to find satisfaction, you grow more weary and depressed and despondent. You see, idolatry is a trap. Idolatry is a subtle deception that hijacks our souls and will, in the final analysis, lead us to abandoning hope altogether. This is why Paul made this massive statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14. He writes to the Corinthian believers and he writes to each one of us. He says, my, my beloved, flee from idolatry. 
flee from idolatry. How many? Do you have a vivid imagination? I, I like people with vivid imaginations. And so if you saw the movie Forrest Gump, and you read 1 Corinthians 10, 14, that's what you should think of. Right? Flee from idolatry. Run as fast away from idolatry as you can. And we need to recognize that desire, as we've already discovered, is a good thing. It is good to have desires. The problem, as C.S. Lewis points out, is that our desires are not, are not too strong. Our desires are too weak. Listen to what Lewis says. In probably the most incredible line in his little book entitled The Weight of Glory, Lewis says, Our Lord finds our desires are not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. And then Lewis says, we are far too easily pleased. You see, the human heart faces malnutrition when it fails to find its satisfaction in God. Once again, Peter Crave says, we find the presence of God by first finding the presence of the absence of God. The God-shaped hole that nothing else can fill. Everyone, Crave writes, not just religious people, whoever they are, is born, built, and designed to feed on God food. I like that. We're designed to feed on God food. And when we try to feed on other food, we starve. When we try to feed on other food, we starve. And so to the degree that you deny your deepest longings, that is your longing for your heavenly home, to that end, you will experience frustration, loneliness, and eventually meaninglessness. And so King David shows us a better way, doesn't he? He says, one thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And so we've seen, number one, the human heart has deep desires and longings. We've seen that the human heart grows restless when it denies those true longings. But there's a third heading that we'll close with. And that is, the human heart finds rest in God alone and the hope of heaven. That is why I say we need to recalibrate our heavenly longings. And I I, want to turn up the heat a little bit, if I may. I think there is a severe need at Christ Fellowship and in the local church in America to do just this. That we need to recalibrate our heavenly longings. We are so fixated on the here and now. Would you agree with me on that? We are so fixated on the here and now and what I can accomplish today. We need to start recalibrating our hearts so our attention is fixated on heaven. And the word of God is the tool that the Holy Spirit uses to help recalibrate our hearts. Look at three final scriptures, and I've put these on the screen for you. Psalm 73 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? 
And there is none on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see what the psalmist does? He's not looking at the here and now. He's looking at his heavenly home. Psalm 37, 4. David says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I know that many over the years have taken that verse and they have, they have twisted that verse to say, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That is to say, you'll get a Maserati or you'll get a Cadillac or you'll get a yacht or you get that dream vacation. Guess what? Remember what Lewis said? Our desires are not too strong. Our desires are too weak. That's the biggest thing you can think of, a Maserati? The biggest thing you can think of is that dream vacation or that Cadillac. Read it again. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The desires of your heart are God. That's the desire of your heart. And that's why our our heart needs to be recalibrated so we will learn in a final way that our deepest desires are grounded, are rooted, are found in our personal relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ that will find ultimate culmination in our heavenly home. Finally, Psalm 27, 4, we've read it many times. David says, I only have one thing, one thing I ask of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Are you ready? Are you ready to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in his temple? And so the longing of the human heart is to do what we were originally created to do. That is to to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And ultimately, as I've said time and time again, that ultimate desire is found in our heavenly home. I'm convinced that Jonathan Edwards, perhaps more than any other writer, directs our attention to our heavenly home. It's interesting, as I wrote those words some time ago, that I received a book in the mail just yesterday by a a theologian that teaches at a Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. His name is Owen Strand. And here's what Dr. Strand says. He says, I am confident that no writer in the great Christian tradition gives more attention to the hope of heaven than Jonathan Edwards does. No theologian directs readers more insistently to think about everlasting life as an actual reality. And then he says, we need this focus as human beings in our hyper-connected age. We especially need to think about eternity. And so Edwards points the way to our heavenly home and he helps recalibrate our heavenly longings with these words. He says, why should we labor for or set our hearts on anything else but that which is our proper end and our true happiness? What Edwards is speaking of is heaven, the heavenly reality. And so as we embark on this journey, an excursion into the very courts of God in the weeks to come, I want you to take some time and to examine the motivations of your heart. Deep down in your own heart, ask, do I desire the celestial city? Am I 
eagerly looking forward to the celestial city. And a follow-up question would be, if not, what is holding you back and what will you do about it? Are you prepared to go to heaven? And on what basis are you prepared to go there? And finally, is there anything that is hindering you from going to heaven And it is my privilege, it is my responsibility, a sacred responsibility to help you to understand on this day that there is nothing that you can do to earn your way to heaven. There is not enough money on this planet that could buy a trip to heaven. Nothing will merit favor in the eyes of a holy God outside of saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God created each of us to glorify him and to enjoy him. But the problem is we have failed to glorify him as we ought. And as a result, we find ourselves under the mighty judgment and the wrath of God. But the good news is that God sent Jesus Christ to be our final payment for sin. The apostles tell us that if we believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved. I read a book a few weeks ago by a very godly man by the name of D.A. Carson. And Carson speaks about what it means to be homesick for heaven. Um, Arlen, I don't see him. Arlen, where's he at? Arlen, it's so so good to see Arlen back from college. And we're looking forward to the other uh, college students to be coming home over the next several days. But my suspicion is, Arlen, you have been homesick you've been looking forward to being with with your family and having a a good home-cooked meal right and in a similar way that's what it's like for us as followers of christ we are homesick for heaven carson says this genuine spirituality cannot live long without an attitude that is homesick for heaven that lives with eternity's values in view, that eagerly awaits Jesus' return, that anticipates the day when Christ himself will bring everything under his control and will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. I want you to remember this morning that our happiness and our heavenly longings are not at odds in any way. They are, in fact, one and the same. It's the Westminster Shorter Catechism that that asks this very important question. What is the chief end of man? And the answer is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. John Piper takes that. And he makes one little shift, and it is a magnanimous shift. He answers the question, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever that is to say our our happiness our joy and our heavenly longings are not at odds they are one and the same glorifying and enjoying god is the true longing of the human heart whose ultimate expression is found in heaven are you ready are you ready to go there amen to that let's pray Thank you, Father, for this inside look at our heavenly home. And we look forward in the weeks to come to learning more about heaven. For now, God, I pray that you would recalibrate our hearts and so that our, our affections would be fixated on heaven. God, I pray that the things on this earth, as the, the great hymn says, would go, grow strangely dim 
that our, our fixation would be on our heavenly home. Whether it's a, a teenager, or a young adult, someone in their middle years, or a senior citizen, wherever we are, may our longings and our affections be directed, be fixated on our time in heaven, which will be for all eternity. Thank you, not only for the reality of heaven, but for the reality of the gospel that enables us to go there. Where we recognize that there is nothing that we can do to earn our way to heaven. It's only faith in Christ, trusting in Christ that provides us that entry into our heavenly home. Now, Lord, we present these songs to you. And as we come to the Lord's table out of obedience to our Savior, be with us now in this special time in Jesus' name. Amen.